What is up? This is Blacklight District, and you are listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. For those not familiar with the Blacklight District, can you give us like the two sentence elevator pitch? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm pretty much a solo artist from the Black Hills of South Dakota. I've got about 500 million streams, five Billboard Top 40 singles. Um, I'm very known on YouTube for my Minecraft and animated videos. Just spent the last four days trending in the top 20. And um, some people might know me from like Sirius XM Octane. And yeah, I'm basically a rock artist and I just put out my new album. So 500 million streams. That's quite a that's quite an accomplishment. Man, it's it's incredible, you know. Um, it, it, you know, early on, I was fortunate enough that my grandfather, you know, he invested a little bit in me and helped me get started and stuff like that. But, you know, after a while, the funding kind of dwindled down because there wasn't a big return, which I get, you know. So I kind of felt like my back was against the wall, and I thought, okay, how can I get my music in front of as many people as possible without having a huge budget to do so. Uh, in comes me discovering like the Minecraft and anime video. So I started reaching out to a couple of YouTube channels that luckily had heard of me, uh, became partners. Again, shout out to my guy, Rainimator, who does my Minecraft videos. And yeah, over the last three years, uh, just those Minecraft videos themselves are almost like 300 million views. So it's really launched my career. It's incredible. That's pretty amazing. I know uh, 1990 came out like what, New Year's Eve, so a couple days ago? Yes, sir. Um, yep. now, that, now that it's done... I guess a two-part question. How do you feel about it? Are you satisfied with the outcome? And what has been the response to it so far? That's a great question. I was actually just thinking about it. it you know, it's crazy. Uh, New Year's Eve, like a couple of hours before this album was like officially released. You know, I, again, I got to pretense this or prefix this by saying, you know, I, we spent, me and my team, I got a lot of guys out there, shout out Tag and Tom George, like who set this up, you know, yeah. but... We spent the last three months, I mean, really pushing this hard. The single just got to number 12 on the radio rock charts and, you know, just a lot of momentum and buzz. So like a couple hours right before the album dropped, I, I honestly got this over sense, like over overwhelming feeling of just being like relieved and calm for some reason. That like, it was done? Yeah, exactly. I guess because so much went into it and it's such like, uh, it's almost like brings on stress because you're always worried about this and that. So the fact that it was coming out, felt like a big weight lifted off my shoulders. Right. And so far in these first five days, the response from the fans has been just incredible, man. Like, again, I'm fortunate enough to have these young kids who are just hardcore fans of mine about to hit the 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. And just to see their response, see all the, the messages I get on Instagram of fans saying, man, like this music saves me and helps me and does this and that. And to me, that's above any like money or fame, just the, knowing that I have a real connection with the audience, you know? Right. But how does it make you so you mentioned it, but how does it make you feel when you get those messages and something you wrote sitting in your basement or in your studio right there connects with somebody sitting I don't know, across the world? Does that make sense? Right. And there's Chris. Oh, What's up, Chris? Uh, hey, sorry. Uh, no, we yeah, started. No, no, no. I was, I was just going to say, um, yeah, man, no, it's uh, it's it's incredible. The fan reaction is amazing, I guess. You know, like you just said, I tell my wife all the time, it's amazing that I can sit in this studio right now. You can't really see it good in here, but I can make a song here. And within, you know, a month, it maybe has 10 million streams from all over the world. And I guess to me, like, you know, again, 
people, you know, maybe you guys have never heard of me. Some people have never heard of me, but in my world and in YouTube and in my like niche that I've carved out, this music is a big deal to these kids. So right. it's a generational thing, but it, it's, it's, it's a dream come true, honestly. For sure. When you say it's a big you know, thing. It was shocking to me because. No, go ahead. It was shocking because like, I've never heard of you before. And then today I looked, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's what we were just talking about. <laughs> the accident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, like I was just telling him, you know, it's uh, Bruce. Um, I was. No, just- him is okay. Him is okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I had a, my grandfather invested in me when I was younger and helped me, you know, kind of get started. But the funds, you know, dried up real quick and my back was kind of against the wall and I had to figure out a way to get the music in front of as many people as possible with very little money. And like I told Bruce, you know, I had just hit up a bunch of these YouTube channels, whether it was Minecraft, anime, pretty much anywhere that used music in whatever type of content they did. And again, three, four years later, here I am, half a billion streams, 200,000 subscribers and five top 40 singles on the Billboard charts. It's right. incredible, man. I'm, I'm grateful honestly yeah so how are you dealing maybe bruce has asked this and i'm sorry my dog had to take a piss so i i had to run <laughs> we, uh, we actually just started okay my dog was like now i was like <laughs> you know she's a six-month-old puppy i gotta go <laughs> but um now that you can't tour or play anywhere um what are you doing <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the cool thing is I'm really like the opposite of a lot of artists. So t- typically, especially in the rock world, you'll hear that bands make their money nowadays by going on the road, basically. Right. And that is true to a point. For me, because of like the YouTube and like the virality of a few of these songs blowing up, pretty much 95, probably more like 99% of my revenue actually comes from the recorded music. I mean, bro, this has literally changed my life in the last couple of years. Like, no joke. Insane. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, in the last year or two, not being able to play, I mean, so first of all, a year ago tomorrow, I checked into rehab because of an opiate addiction. So I'm just about coming up on a year sober. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. I did that. You know, I did months of counseling and therapy. And then at the start of the summer, the end of May, I actually broke my hip in two different places while I was rollerblading. Oh, my God. And let me tell you, oh, my God, like the most pain I've ever felt. And I've had some shit happen before, but breaking nope. your hip. Plus, when I, got, when I got out of treatment, they put me on a medication that's kind of like an opiate blocker. So you can't really use. So when the hip happened, they knew about my issues, but they're like, listen, we have to use opiates because it's excruciating pain. So that was kind of out the window for a minute, but because of this medication, they had to use like like real high doses of this fentanyl, which is actually what my drug of choice was the first night in the hospital. They actually end up overdosing me on the fentanyl. You got to imagine I'm sitting there with an unstable bone shit moving around in my hip, excruciating pain because none of their narcotics are giving pain relief. She comes in, gives me the shot. All of a sudden, I wake up with like 10 doctors around me, like rubbing my chest. Sir, sir, are you okay? Blah, blah. Like, and again, with this hip, I had no idea. I just come to and I'm like, well, you know, they're like, oh, we had to Narcan you. And man, that was some scary shit. Fuck, in the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Fuck, man. And after that, you know, again, I, I was at the time about six months sober. So with the hip, I was in the recliner for like three months, could barely walk on the crutches. And then, yeah, in uh, late August, I drove 2,600 miles with a broken hip for this album. So, wow. yeah, man. 
Wow. That's, <laughs> this is a crazy <laughs> fucking story. This story, bro. Everyone says my life should be made into a movie, bro. And it's crazy, man. Seriously. Wow. So. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe this is a bit personal, but maybe it would be good for people that are struggling uh, yeah. going through it. How did you get involved? First of all, how did you get involved with opiates? Okay, so to to kind of just give a, a little bit of context here, my mom died of a heroin overdose when I was nine. Gotcha. Then in 2017, my father actually committed suicide via a heroin overdose. Shit. Yeah, so again, story thing I was saying. But so right when my father died, I was just in the hospital for the third time from alcohol-induced pancreatitis. So my pancreas would like inflame and enlarge and the enzymes like give third degree burns. And that's again, very painful. So they would admit me in the hospital each time for about a week and they'd say, listen, you can't drink anymore. Like, and you know, again, at the time I was on tour, you know, my habits basically came home. I'm drinking a half a gallon of whiskey every night by myself in the basement and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, again, they send me out of the hospital. They say, look, stop drinking. But then I get the prescription to like opiates, you know, just some like hydrocodone, some like weaker end stuff. And then the third time I was in the hospital, my son Cold as Ice just went viral on YouTube, like 100 million views. My hometown, like radio station and everyone like it's like a big deal around here. So I go in the hospital and the doctor that was working was actually just there temporarily. And he was a bass player from Nashville and he had actually heard of me and we were getting to talk. So he ends up prescribing me this Dilaudid, which is what they had me on in the hospital to take home. And the nurse was like, oh, I, I don't know why he's prescribing you this. Like, we're so worried. And, you know, they made sure to let me know, like, this is a very strong narcotic, blah, blah, blah. So long story short, I get home. The day I get my father's suicide note in the mail, I'm basically on these pills and I'm sitting there. I popped one of these pills, you know, as prescribed. And, you know, it really because of the trauma of my childhood with my mom dying, being like one of the main like events in my life that always like comes back and like haunts you in a way, you know. So for this to happen all these years later after me and my father had just reconnected was just like, again, it felt like a horror movie that just never ends. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I'm not lab on and on here i'm getting to the point but yeah so after that like basically i knew i couldn't drink anymore because of the pancreas um i had all this shit happen i was already on the pills and it just slowly led me to basically going out on the street as they would say finding a dealer i actually eventually ended up with like a hookup and by the time i checked into treatment i was uh, snorting 40 pills a day oh. about 15 a month and doing going about 500 a week so it was unreal. And I know that sounds excessive, like, come on, man. But when your tolerance builds up, I mean, they oh, yeah. spiraled out of control so fast. I didn't know what hit me, you know? Okay, so then the next question is then what was the moment that pushed you into treatment? Like, why, why did you decide to stop? Like, I mean, it seems obvious for people that aren't going through that addiction, but when you're addicted to something, there's like, Stopping isn't really something you, you might think about it a lot, but it's not, you know, you're never going to do it. So, so like, how did you end up in that spot? So that's actually a great question, man. I've done quite a few interviews lately and people ask about that. No one has actually asked me that. And I've actually been waiting because that is like, it's real because exactly how you said, like, yeah, to, to the average person who like looks down, it's like, Oh, just stop. Like, look at this, you know, whatever. And but again, like when you're in that spot, I just remember waking up that day and thinking how the fuck, excuse my language. I don't no, know. Please. 
how how did I get here? You know what I'm saying? Like you don't even realize it, even when you're on the stuff for months and months, you don't like calculate in your head that wait a minute, maybe there's an issue here because you don't really realize the problem until you run out of the drugs. So Every other week, again, I'm going through 500 tablets a week and my guys still couldn't keep up with me because I'd be up by the time they'd ship me because they were shipping it right to my house, you know? And so I'd constantly be in these just nightmare walls of this this fentanyl. And I mean, my God, bro, it's the closest thing to hell on earth I've ever experienced. And it's not like, oh, just a couple of days and you feel better. Like, I mean, that shit goes on and on for months sometimes. So, you know, the year before I had a relapse on the fentanyl and told my wife and I went on like some maintenance drugs, like Suboxone and things like that. Um, But again, I went 80 days, never touched anything. And I just never felt right. Hence the reason I went on the medication. So did that for about a year. Um, And then again, you know, it was in 2020 when the pandemic happened, I had this song called falling, which like got added to Sirius XM, the pulse, which is a big pop channel. And it was just, you know, it was a big hit for me. And I was basically using that as the excuse of all, you know, all the success money's rolling in, like let's fucking party. I can't drink. So I'd hit some here and there. And of course, over time you just more and more, but to get back to your question is, you know, the month prior, every other week, you know, there's two or three days in there where I'm withdrawing and I keep telling my wife, oh, I just, I have a headache today. I just want to lay down. Like, yeah, right, dude, come on. Like the guy's sitting and you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It was just that day, January 5th, 2021. It was like worst withdrawals ever. I felt like I just hit my point. It was like, look, I can't keep lying to my family, putting everyone through this, especially with the history. You know, I have an eight-year-old son and it reminded me of my mom dying when I was nine. You know what I'm saying? So there was just all this shit that kind of happened. It was like, look, if if anything's going to change, it has to be right now. So I told my wife and within two hours, we were driving six hours to rehab. Oh, good for you, man. That's that like, I think a lot of times there's such a stigma around addiction and I don't think there should be because addiction happens with all kinds of things. It's like, I vape. Bruce loves his coffee. Yeah. Uh, but some addictions are worse than others. You know, some people are addicted to jerking off, but no one's ever going to be like, Hey man, you need to stop that. It's ruining your life. You know what I mean? But when you start getting into opiates and it starts controlling you in a way, that's more of a mental health crisis to me than it is an addiction crisis. I would agree with that. Absolutely. Like just the way, like I'm no psychologist, but the way you described it to me, it seems like you were drinking to kind of escape pain, and then when you couldn't do that anymore, you were do, using opiates to escape pain, Phys- emotional pain. Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. And and it's funny you mentioned that because you know I when I went into the treatment center, I only lasted at the first place about ten days. They were like a, a traditional like twelve step, you know, abstinence based. So like I mentioned that like suboxone and stuff like things like that. They're very against, you know. Yeah. And opiates nowadays. There's just so much data that just shows like how you said how it actually changes the chemical functionality in your brain, and it is escaping pain again. Going back to the trauma and the childhood shit I told you about. So I left there and found a different place that was a dual diagnosis treatment center where they work on the addiction, but also the mental health aspect. Oh, of beautiful. It. Instead of just saying, look, let's quit the drugs and try to follow 12 steps. It's more like, let's try and get rid of the drugs and really try to get down to what caused this. You know I what guess. I'm saying? So again, I did grief counseling for the first time and just shit like that. Things that I would have been rolling my eyes at a couple of years ago, but 
And like when you really, again, like I felt like I had to change my mindset because I would have been rolling my eyes at it. But when I really put my energy and focus on trying to get better and really digging down to those issues that I want to escape, man, it's, it's incredible. The, the things that can happen when you really acknowledge it and really try to source the problem. You know and I'm, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you probably go through a lot more pain when you're going through that counseling, like, like stuff that you've shelved away and, and, and the drugs have shelved away and then even when you're not using, you can kind of just keep them away and remember how good the drugs were. But then when you actually have to talk about them, like, holy fuck, that's got to be hard. Oh, man, 100%. Yeah, I mean, again, it just it goes back to the whole, you know, like again you have and then when you when you come off like when you're withdrawing off the opiates you're because it does block your emotions so much all of that shit comes pouring back in and I, like the first few nights in the first treatment center i felt like i was having like a mental breakdown because i'd wake up at three in the morning if i could sleep at all just crying and uh like i have like like a little kid or something you know like right. just, just crazy shit man so again but even a year later here man i mean you know, I'm, I'm glad and grateful I've stayed on this track, but I mean, I still get those times where it's like, oh, you just feel this cl cloud of darkness about to, like, you know what I'm saying? Like that feeling yeah. coming in and you got to learn those skills to like, because that place can take things south really quick. I want to interrupt. No, I want to, I want to interrupt for one second. I'm sorry, Chris. I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said that, you know, you've got 500 million followers and you get or 500 million views and you get notes and emails and stuff. Do you feel a sort of responsibility after everything you've gone through to your fans, as far as messages go? You know, that's another great question because the first time I went through this, I kept it very private. Like even some of my immediate family members, me and my wife chose to kind of keep it, you know, just private because, and again, I didn't know how this would look because my audience is so young. I didn't know how people would like react to that. You know, but so again, like um, what we were talking about with the mental health stuff, in some of that counseling, I learned that me keeping it a secret was almost another part of the issue because by keeping that a secret, you keep the drugs a secret. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of gives you that back door to say, well, no one really knows about this. So if someone I don't know is out and sees me like partying, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to worry about it. But now, so I came clean to my fans, kind of told them the whole story to see the support from these kids, man. And again, to start seeing comments of like, wow, like I'm going through the same thing or my mother or father's going through the same thing. I definitely feel a responsibility. And again, I don't ever try to toot my own horn too much. I do sometimes. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> But again, like having all these fans that are such diehard fans, I mean, I, I feel like I have a bit of an influence over this fan base. Right. I can mention something or mention a song or an artist, and then the next day it's like, oh, yeah, I was listening to this. And you know what I'm saying? So I definitely try to be open and talk about the kind of stuff we're saying right now just because it impacts them so much. Like how I was a kid looking up to Ozzy Osbourne. You know what I'm saying? Like if I could have had Ozzy saying, listen, here's the shit I've been through, you know, in any way possible, I try as much as I can. You know what I'm saying? So. Right. Well, and you also got to take care of yourself too, though, you know, which is also extremely important. Oh yeah. Yep. Well, even nowadays they're again, like not going on tour. There's been a few opportunities I could have went out and played. Didn't really want to with the whole pandemic and all that, but now that it's kind of opened up, you know, but the, it's, it's just hard when it's like, you're going back out into the danger zone kind of like, you know, because out there you get treated like a King every night. The promoter's like, Hey, free booze, let's party all, you know, like, it's so I'm used to it now to where I can go out.
play the show, like meet some of the fans, do the meet and greet and merch and stuff after, and then pretty much go get my jammies and head back to the hotel. You know, right, right. Oh yeah, it's just changing your mindset and really, I think to me, at least in my experience, changing my mindset and being more open to this stuff was one of the biggest like things I could have done. You know, so amazing. Wow. This is this interview went places I had no idea it was going to go. <laughs> I was like expecting to ask about streaming tips and like, like, (laughs) those are the best though. Right. I mean, it's more organic and more natural and it kind of, that's why we like this show because we're not going to ask you where the name of the record came from or the, where the name of the band came from. We want to just talk and, and then get to rabbit holes like this, which I think in the end help people. Right. There again, like, you know, your listeners and then, you know, when I when this comes out or if it's whatever, like I post it and if some of my fans come over and see it again, we're having a real conversation here that can really impact somebody's life, regardless if the cameras are on or not. I mean, I feel like that's a very positive thing and we might have impact from this interview on someone and we might not ever know about it, but it could happen. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And again, thank you guys for having me on. I, I love the show. And uh, again, sorry, I missed the first one. So. Oh, no worries at all. Chris, we're, we're running up against time here for the next one. But you have anything before we go, Chris, before we get a bumper? Any last thoughts? Uh, no, let's just grab the bumper and we'll let him go. He's been gracious with his time, man. All right. Thank you for Perfect. being so open and honest, my friend. I appreciate yeah, it. I'm kind of so call me blacklight district or kyle like whatever but no thank you bruce chris you guys are awesome would love to come back and chat again so all right i'll get in awesome. touch with tom be well stay safe and thanks again take thank care my guys. friend all right cheers bye. bye welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute what's the name of that podcast that's axe to grind uh and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it right down to the shaking microphone and all and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.